We are here with the DMs. No, I don't even know what we are anymore. Behind the DM screen. <laughs> we are behind the DM screen. It is July of 2014. We are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. And that is the intro. Mike, I'm putting 15 minutes on the clock. Happy D&D Day. Happy D&D Day to you. Today was the day that the D&D Basic set and the starter set was released. For those listening to this four months from now, yeah, now now everybody's <laughs> going to know when it gets, how long yeah. it takes us to get it posted. Right. Uh, oh, and am I am I supposed to be going now? You're going, yeah. yeah. You oh are, you man, use, you use seventeen oh, seconds. I'm yeah. behind. You just wasting uh, all your time. I have been running my thirteenth age game every week. Our band of adventurers has now reached level seven. Their goal is to uh, gain control over a huge obelisk in the center of a hellish lava-filled crater in the center of Moonwreck. Four other villainous factions are also trying to gain control over this obelisk, including agents of the three, the dragon, the dragon folk, uh, agents of the Lich King, uh, a triumvir- uh, uh, three powerful demons known as the Triumvirate of Blood, and a group of crazy cultists known as the Cult of the Dark. So this is your not return to the Temple of Elemental Evil. Sort of. It is so far diverged from that. Right. That's why I said point. not. <laughs> yeah, that it's there's there's really other than the fact that there is a crater in both of them. Yeah. There was there, uh, there was a kernel no of inspiration. There was almost there once upon right, a time. Yes, yes exactly. Uh, like hey, I think sometimes in, that's all it takes. Yeah, yeah that's all I a lot of time that's all I really get need from an adventure is just give me a push in the right direction. Um, so it's been very fun. They are level seven in 13th age and seven is probably the equivalent of 22 or 23 if you're going to go to fourth edition. Okay. So they're very powerful. Uh, they regularly pull off 160 point fireballs. Wow. Uh, they are fighting liches and vampires pretty regularly. They drop frost giants without much difficulty. Um, dragons have to protect themselves with crazy magic to not die in one or two rounds. Um, so it's, it's interesting to watch the power scale so quickly <clears throat> in a, um, in a D20 base game. Um, having, having a lot of fun. We had a, we had a game last night where they went, they're, they're currently going through a, uh, uh, uh a crashed air city, sort of a, this sort of citadel that had been flying in the air that has landed down in the crater, uh, in which an agent of the Lich King named Morgos is trying to send in an army of undead to try to gain control over the obelisk. The, the idea is that there's this obelisk in the center. The, priest, the dark priests have control over it, but they're not really powerful enough to do anything with it. But as long as you... It's kind of like King of the Hill. Since they're at the top of the hill, they have a big advantage over everybody else trying to get it. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is trying to get it. These three other groups are trying to get it, but they've so far been failing. And there's lots of little MacGuffins that are keeping them from getting there. Um, the Triumvirate of Blood has one of the MacGuffins. Another MacGuffin is held by Morgos. So the party is going after Morgos currently. And last night they went through a uh, level of Morgos's uh, necropolis. It's kind of this that crash tower. And uh, it is full of vampires known as the Bloodseekers. The Bloodseekers are like mercenary assassin vampires that the Lich King uses for his terror troops. And um, it was fun. 
they fought so they have in 13th age they have mooks which are similar to minions in 4th edition only they actually have hit points instead of just having one and what i learned in the previous game is that those guys do a lot more damage than minions did Mm-hmm. So if you throw too many of like like you can look at how often and how many you should throw and they might be like 30. And if you throw 30, you will wipe the party out. Like that's a lot of damage. So I learned that the hard way. I almost Although dropped them with I've moves. done I've done that with groups of like 30 minions too. Dropped people? Yeah. I oh I never have at this power level. Like I mean you, you know. get you get 30 minions all of them targeting one guy with their with their ranged attacks or whatever. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you know? I guess right. and they all go I, in the same initiative, right, you know. Right. Most of the time mm-hmm. what I found in 4th edition is one good spell would just wipe out any number of minions that I would put into a room. Yeah, but you get and one good round, you can drop somebody. That's right. And actually in 13th age it's kind of the same that if you do enough damage to kill a minion, any spillover damage goes to the next minion. Uh-huh. in 13th age and the and you have to describe why it hit him even if they're a room away and what's interesting is uh if you have a spell that targets multiple ones all of it spills over to all of the next ones which means like a 120 point fireball could potentially do 360 480 damage so we had at one point where a guy cast a spell against a room full of like 16 or 17 or 16 or 18 of these guys and he did a total of 637 damage and wiped wow. them all out in one big blast. Wow. So the numbers get really yeah. crazy in 13th Age the higher you go. So a bunch of mooks in a nearby town suddenly died of a heart yeah, attack. Yeah, exactly, right. Like, <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> the planet went, you know, exploded for no apparent reason. Um, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I, I, there's, there's been some interesting, you know, I've been kind of experimenting with and, and, and getting some sort of interesting views on things. One of them is uh, railroading versus open exploration. I've been running this very open-ended. We've talked about this in the past. They have lots of places that they can go. And I still have players that are like, you know, just, just tell us where to go. Like, you know, I don't know if I want to go to Morgos, you know, the Necropolis of Morgos, or if I want to go to the you know the black the dark spire temple full of dark elves or go to the you know the the mountain of acidic rain where the three headquarters i don't know just send us someplace and i'm kind of been avoiding that on purpose and then you know but the the problem is you get kind of a table full of people like i don't know where you want to go so i'd say things like there's a portal that's leading you to the throne room of the cold iron citadel and you're not sure why there is a portal like that here or you can go further into the Necropolis of Morgos and, you know, 15 minutes might go by where they're like, oh, I don't know. You know, and one guy's like, how about we just roll a die and pick? And you're like, <laughs> I'd, I'd hoped I gave you enough information to have some kind of interest. But sometimes they're just ready to kind of go to room B. You know, they don't really. Yeah, I, I think in a lot of cases, it's not that they don't have an interest in all the multitude of things or the four things or whatever that you've presented to them. It's just they don't want to pick. Like, I, yeah. Yeah, decisions are a pain in you the know, ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just don't want to pick right. cuz they it, then it's like, oh, well if they, you know, if they pick the wrong one, quote unquote, the wrong mm-hmm. one, then, you know, they feel like they missed out on something. But if they don't right. pick, then they're not responsible for that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, for which a is, while, you know, silly, but whatever. Yeah, for a while there was I think there was a lack of trust that I did have a right answer and if they pick the wrong one, mm-hmm. somehow they get screwed. And mm-hmm. I don't think they have that feeling anymore. I think that they recognize that I really don't care. Like I'm, I'm interested, but I don't care. I'm not hoping that they'll go into the throne room mm-hmm. or hoping that they'll go further in. I'm happy either way. And every so often, I'm like, well, it would be a little easier on me if they just kept, you know, like they would just go further into the necropolis. So I might hint that, hey, you know, 
there's more stuff there. And other times I like to say, here's the kind of gameplay choice you're going to pick. So if you go into the throne room, you'll probably have some interesting conversations. If you go into the necropolis, you'll probably fight a lot of vampires. And they're like, yeah, vampires. We want to go fight vampires. We don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> and um, so that, that can work out. Um, but that's been kind of an interesting thing to explore. And, and more lately, I've been doing more railroady sort of stuff of like, okay, you said you're going here, then that's what we're doing. And, and they're fine with that. Mm. Um, it's interesting. I've been, so today we were reading the, uh, I think a lot of us were reading the D&D basic, the basic rules. And mm-hmm. um, D&D Next has talked a lot about, uh, or Mike Merles has certainly talked a lot about the three pillars of D&D being exploration, uh, interaction, and combat. And, you know, I kind of sat back and said, are those really the, th-? you know, I'm not disagreeing necessarily, but I'm kind of interested to explore that idea. Are those the three pillars? And uh, then, you know, if we dissect that a little bit more, I certainly know how combat plays out and all of the different tools we have both on the DM and player side to do combat. I'm pretty confident in the whole interaction thing, how, how conversations mm-hmm. with NPCs go. But exploration is one where there's, there really ever, hasn't ever been a good refined Mm-mm. sort of system for it. And in yeah. fact, exploration is such a wide topic and so many different things fit in there. I mean, exploration you know? is just the the glue that holds the other two pillars it, together. It is, but it's a lot of glue, yeah. right? Like there's a lot in there. There's and puzzles, it, there's... But it's it, messy and it drips all over and well, sometimes yes, it's hard to right. clean up. I get it no, in my I mean, hair, yeah. right. But but more so, so, I think a lot of it is just not particularly interesting. Well, you know? right. That's, but, but, it, you, but you don't want to just do combat conversation, combat conversation. Right. So you want to like I, I keep wanting to use it. And I and I've been trying different things like more recently. I've been using this idea of what I refer to as uh, uh, secrets or clues where instead of writing out narrative or instead of doing a big background, I'll write these like tweet sized clues about what's going on in the world. And last night I started just writing them out with a Sharpie on three by five cards. And as they would discover stuff, I'd give them the clues. So then later on, they could kind of piece things together and be like, Oh, so we thought that the head of the Triumvirate of Blood was inside the obelisk, but now he's here and the obelisk is still sound. That means there's something else in the obelisk that's even bigger than he is. Mm. You know, and then another clue might be the white, uh, one of the three that, or the was, he was one of the uh, dragons that died. The white fought the former archmage, who is now the Lich King, by the obelisk, which meant that the obelisk existed back then too. And the white wanted it, you know, and it was the last bastion between this battle. And it was, you know, everything else in the air was completely destroyed except the obelisk, which now, is still standing there just now like Now, you white. give them those cards as they discover right. those yes. things? Yeah, so they, so, so is now... The, is there ever any risk of you've just sort of tipped your tipped the, your hand that, you know, this is important? Well, take, take I'm, note of this? I'm, I'm kind of doing that on purpose, Okay, right? Like, I want, you know... I think with a with a with a group that was more investigative, like if they were really digging deep into this stuff, you'd have to go with much subtler clues. But sometimes it's like, you know, I'm not I'm not saying they don't care. Yeah, you have to use the the clue stick as I yeah call exactly it. right. And we joked uh, my, about that. They yeah, said the clue my, card. I'm going to yeah. write a clue on this and I'm going to hurl it at your eyeball. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and that's that was, the thing. You know, like my my advice is always don't assume that something that you're telling them is going to come off as as obvious. To right. them as it is to you, like it, it's always going to be obvious to you because you know the story already. Mm, but yeah. if they if they don't, it's not going to be obvious. So give them the most obvious clue, you know. And you can still have subtle ones, but subtle ones can be for sort of bonus knowledge or bonus 
uh, items or information. You know what I mean? Whereas the obvious ones, they have to get it. So you might as well just feed it to them. Well, and it that's can also the fun be, it, part. it can also be because I'm thinking how to use it in my game, actually, because um, I think that's a neat idea. Um, but I think it could also be a it's a subtle clue now, but later on I'm going to give you a more a, a less subtle clue that you'll you know you'll realize is connected to that. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. And, and I do and like the idea of putting it on a three by five card. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so the three but by ha- five. Having right. it on the three by five card, like that means that when they learn the new one, they could be like, okay, well, what do we know now? And they yeah, can lay them exactly. out. Now that, yeah. and, and you can you can give them pe- like the pieces aren't synchronous, right? They're not they're not sequential. So right. they might have a whole bunch, and they go, and they might have like we have these three clues, we have four of them, but these three contradict this one, which probably means means this one is BS. So you could give them a false clue if they're you know. And the nice thing about the clues, and this is kind of a constant feedback loop. You give a clue, you listen to their conversations about it, you kind of discover how close they are or not, and then you give them another clue. And if they're really close or they're really digging deep and they're they're catching on to things fast, then the clues become a lot more subtle. If they're not catching on at all, then you might make bigger clues and bigger clues and bigger clues right. until, you know. But the other side is sometimes, it, and not everything always has to be this big mystery that, you know, you, you kind of want something to say, ah, I'm watching an evolving story. But sometimes you just say, this is exactly what's happening. And here are things yeah. that are important around it, but we're not going to hide. Like, you know, if the, if the group finds out what's inside the obelisk, right? The obelisk is three different things, and they already know this. They know that the obelisk is a portal to a world of anti-life. They know that the obelisk is a great source of dark energy that could be used for all sorts of power for all different kinds of things, like a giant nuclear battery. And the obelisk is a prison for something really big and powerful, right? It's all of these things. And they don't really know, and I don't really know, you know, why the protagonists, who we've actually never seen, want the party to gain control of it. But they didn't say what to do with it. They didn't say destroy it. They didn't say bury it. They didn't say you know, use it to kill everybody around you. They just say, get it, because we want to make sure the other ones don't get it. But if the group finds out what's inside, that's okay. If they figure it out early, that's not a problem, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't change it doesn't change things. If anything, it just raises the stakes. It raises the stakes, and it makes them feel good. Like, they, they figured out there was an NPC that they ran into, and she was this uh, elven woman that had uh, kind of this uh, very light, silvery hair, and they let her, you know, she was imprisoned with these crazy magical shackles that had all sorts of runes around them. And as soon as she was free to the magical shackles, she was like, ah, now I'm, now I'm free. And she said, okay, you guys want to go that way. I'm going to head out this way. And they went and did a bunch of stuff and they came back and they saw that she had like slaughtered all of these people along the way and that they were rended apart and they were, you know, torn open and that some of them were frozen and shattered. And one of the, one of the uh, players said, ooh, she was a silver dragon. Right? She wasn't an elf. She was a silver dragon that had been polymorphed. And did you give them clues on that? Well, only the silver hair and the fact that some of the guys had been frozen and shattered. Okay. Right? So not big clues. Now, he was right, you know? So, you know, he kind of – part of it was an educated guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it works. And it, and it doesn't matter. She didn't really hide it from them. So you're doing you know? the, you're doing this with every mystery, not just the big ones, not just oh, the big right. plot points. Yeah, small ones. Yeah, right. Cause, okay. And this to me is what exploration is in my game, right? Exploration is learning things as you're going through. Mm-hmm. You know, so, it's reading old books yeah. and learning about the history. It's the, And that's the thing like this. So much of, you know, it's funny when uh, if you look at 
different adventure modules, sometimes they have like this huge long backstory. Oh God. And yeah. and the problem with that, I mean, some of it's really good. I mean, it's like, wow, that's a really interesting story. But then you get to the adventure part and it's like, how in the F were those people right. were the characters ever gonna learn any of that? Yeah, like right. unless right. they sit down with one particular NPC who knows all and he expositions it all to them. And I hate that. So yeah. in a lot of a lot of adventures, there's no way to give the players that information. However, this is a good way to do it because you can chunk it out little by little mm-hmm. and they have it in on a three I really like that for it's like the simplest thing, but it's like wow, yeah, that's right. a perfect right. idea to right. have them on the cards because then they can see these right. cards and it becomes a very physical tactile thing where okay well mm-hmm. let's put these in order in chronological order or in order of importance or whatever right. however group, you want to play with them by the, whatever the big yeah, story they group are, them yeah. right and right. then and even with smaller sort of tangential you know things in the game they start doing that and it teaches them to work with information mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know yeah, the they're not just I'm, not just going to be spoon fed but right. you know I'm a big believer that um, uh, constraint, you know, creativity comes from constraint. And the nice thing about this mm-hmm. is you kind of really have to get your ideas down to the point where you can write them with a Sharpie and a 3x5 right. card. You can't write 1,500 words about it. You have to write, mm-hmm. you know, 50. So, so are you, are you doing these 50. ahead of time or are you no, doing them um, as they come up? So I, when, when I do my game prep these days, I'll write down maybe 10 of these secret. I'll kind of say, like, what, are the, you know, what, what things could the PCs learn? And I'll probably do cards for that. But then I might also create cards as we play. Uh, last, last night, for example, I didn't really, I had some cards prepped ahead of time, but then, uh, one of the guys was knocked unconscious and I said, here's a great opportunity for him to have weird memories of the past. Mm -hmm. And I started throwing a few different things at him. That's where he found out that like, you know, there is an important thing about the chronology of when the white fought the Lich King by the obelisk and destroyed all of Moonwreck. The fact that that occurred at this exact same spot where everybody's going to war now is actually important. Mm -hmm. And he remembered this because he's old, right? His character remembers when this happened. And, but he kind of mm. forgot it until he was dropped and then, you know, in his weird deadly fugue state remembered this. Right. So. Cool. Well, your time is up. Yep. So there's Mike. Well, to be fair, we were talking at him the whole time. Can I have just one more That's thing? That's part of it. Since you guys yeah. are talking? Real yeah, quick. And one of the other reasons why I'm doing this is that my group, I have – five regular players now and they wrote you know a lot of times they're not making it all the time Mm -hmm. so my group the the people that are actually at the table rotate pretty frequently Mm -hmm. which means that my story has to be refined enough where i can write three sentences and everybody goes ah yeah okay i got where we are now and that's probably some of the reason that i'm being more overt with some of the clues and keeping the story like I, i i have to be able to say the story in a short amount of time um, because, you know, in, in some cases, like two weeks ago, I had a player who'd never played D and D before at all came and she had a great time, but she had to know, you know, where the hell are we? What are we doing this? And Go ahead. so I have, I have people constantly rotating in and out, which means that my story has to get more and more refined so that if you're out for three weeks and then come back in, you can still know what the hell is going on. You know what else is, is more and more refined? Great deals over at noblenight.com. <laughs> Very true. Well done. I do my best. Uh, my pick from Noble Knight this time around uh, is the fourth edition Eberron campaign collection. You don't get this at most you know, online retailers, but Noble Knight will do things like this every now and then where they have taken several products and bundled them together for an even lower price. 
So the fourth edition Eberron campaign collection comes with the Eberron campaign guide, the Eberron player's guide, and two published adventures, Kyber's Harvest and Seekers of the Ashen Crown. So you could pretty much run an entire campaign with this one bundle, which is like 30 bucks off the retail price. So wow, there you go. Can I, can I say one thing about this? You can say five things about it. Five, well, I'll just say one. Okay. Um, <laughs> when I talk, uh, I tweeted back and forth with Keith Baker, and he actually has it on his fact. People have said to him, what is the definitive Eberron? Like if you had, you know, like a lot of people said like, okay, besides mechanics and, and game system, you know, is the Eberron 3.5 book the true Eberron book? And the 4E one is some bastardization for the newer version of D&D. And he said, no, the fourth edition one is the definitive Eberron. That it, it's the one that has all of the stuff that he had wanted to have in the first one and or or had been refined over the years between mm-hmm. the two of them. So that, you know, like there are a few, a lot of 4E books that I've that I've given away. And some of those that I've kept have been these campaign guides that are absolutely yeah. fantastic, regardless of whether you're playing fourth edition or not. Yep. And I've uh, I, I actually put made these my my picks because Eberron plays heavily into my segment. Hello! Hello, citizens! Oh, thank goodness! Adventurers! We need a noble knight! Perhaps you can slay the beast of retail and reap the promises of riches. Riches? Yes! Great prices out of print games, the latest releases, and a magic box that converts all of your old loot into cash or new loot. But why? Fantastic! I'll do it! Yes, well, you see, the beast he kidnapped the mayor and can only be slain by the most noble of knights. Yes, yes, yes. I said I'll do it. Yes, the thing is, I was talking to her. What? Fear not, kind citizen. The noble knight will save the day, rescue the lord in distress, and liberate all that loot in a way only possible at Noble Knight. If you'd like to get your hands on Noble Knight's loot, head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes for this episode. And don't forget to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Ha, I got to do something to help out. It is Sam's turn. Go. Uh, okay, well, so uh, I am running a... Uh, well, I'm running two games, but uh, my my second edition game, as you will know if you listened to the last episode of Behind the DM Screen, my second edition game is uh, there was a player who couldn't make it for a couple of sessions, so we ran a, a Deadlands Reloaded game in between, okay, yeah, yeah. which is uh, you know uh, cowboys in the Old West versus uh, zombies, basically. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so that's what I did, but I already talked about that last episode. So my most recent session was uh, with my other group, which uh, is playing the playtest version of uh, D&D, what used to be called D&D Next, but now that the basic rules <laughs> have been released, it is now officially just D&D. Uh, but nonetheless, we're still playing the old July playtest until the actual PHB comes out because the basic document does not have all the classes that are in my group. So I can't switch over all the way. So uh, that's not a complaint. It's just a reality right now. That thing will expand. So there you go. Um, anyway, to get back to my game, basically they were – I had them running through a sort of uh, a, a much modified version of the first, um, the first part of Dragonspear Castle, which is Fane of the Sun Swallower. And uh, they – in the last session, they finally got out of the swamp 
they had they had met a bunch of orcs and and killed them and found a dragon's egg and one of the players was being really cheeky and hugged the dragon's egg and that made the dragon's egg hatch so they had this little baby <laughs> dragon following them around mm-hmm. uh for for uh several days uh and it started growing really fast and drooling a lot of acid everywhere in fact the the guy who hugged the egg who who has taken on this dragon as his little pet who he calls baby that's what he named it baby uh just don't put it in the he, corner he's yeah he's yeah that's what he said he said nobody puts baby in the corner um but he so he's trying to teach this dragon uh to behave and to follow commands and the only command so far that the dragon has followed is attack um and eat uh so <laughs> everywhere they go they get in fight with lizard men and uh and the dragon ends up consuming the bodies of of the <laughs> uh, whatever creatures that they have killed um he it did actually save uh one of the party members from a sturge they they went into they found a the the little fortress above ground where uh where the 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 daddy dragon so to speak lives in the bottom of of this uh cavern complex and the the upper layer is is a fortress it's an old shrine that has been desecrated and um they they've been fighting things in there when they went to this room and there was a you know they they ran into all the cool things about that adventure you know we we reviewed that adventure on the tome show and it was mm-hmm. it was a, a very much well received uh adventure uh for several reasons and all of the things that that I hoped would play out well played out really well and they were surprised by some green slime and it fell on one of the guys cuz he wasn't paying attention and the and dragon thing was was straight out of that adventure too right the dragon thing was straight yeah. out of that adventure that uh, how they're dealing with up. it oh yeah no no that's that's right out of the adventure are you going to make him kill it too? Isn't no, that, isn't, so isn't that part of it later on? No, that, no, no. Uh, it's it's the, been resolved. So they they actually um, so they went. They've been going through this this uh, this complex, this this old uh, ancient temple complex, um, and all the cool things happened with the gas that they 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 had to get blasted by exploding gas a couple times before they caught on that they needed to you know harvest these fire beetle glands to to light up their way because they couldn't use open flame and mm-hmm. so all this really cool stuff happened and um it really the reason that i'm I, I really was really happy with the way it played out because you know these players are sort of more modern players or they're new to the game and so that most of their experiences with things like video games and um they're not used to real consequences and they they've they've been having to learn over the past couple of sessions about how to have their players interact and not get their ass handed to them you know and and you know or how to how to you know if you're interacting with an npc and you need to get some information you can't just always strong arm that npc you have to have to have some more savvy than that you know uh and you know sometimes you're in a situation when you have to be a little creative uh and my players really stepped up to the plate this last session they got really creative about how to do things uh, there's one place where you go into this big cavern and there's sort of this flowing river uh and a waterfall and and the one rogue he wanted to hide, but there was too much lighting around. He couldn't hide, and he was trying to sneak across the room, and he, he stepped on a twig, which translates to he rolled a three on his sneak check. You know what I mean? He just really – and so they turned to look at him, and he wanted to hide, jump away real fast. And the only place to go was into the water, but he looked at it, and he could tell that the um, – the the flow of the current would be too fast and he would be swept away. So he had already stolen – he's a halfling and he had already stolen this big robe and he was wearing it. It was the 
here's spoilers alert, spoiler alert. He was wearing this blue robe because it was the only way he could pick up that little the stat half statue that was in one of the alcoves without it screaming at him. Mm. Right. So they figured out that whole thing. They did that on their own with not very many clues whatsoever. So I was really happy about that too. Uh, and they, so he had this big robot and he had been slinging the sort of tail end of it up over his shoulder. So he wouldn't step on it when he walked. So when he went to go hide from them, he flung it off of his shoulder while simultaneously jumping into the river and taking his dagger and sticking his dagger into the end of the of the cloak into the ground so that if the <laughs> river tried to wash him away he was still held by you know the cloak mm. uh and you know real real is it realistic probably not <laughs> but it was such a cool moment and such a great creative thing for that character to have thought of and that that player especially who's been sort of trying to get his feet under him in terms of how to play a character and how to think of interesting things without always going to his character sheet that was a brilliant moment so i let him do it and and he got he hid from them and they they heard they heard a noise they turned they didn't see him you know he was hidden it was it was brilliant for him uh and so things like that start have started coming out of this session so i'm really really pleased about that so they travel the rest of the way they get down to uh to the bottom they cross the stone bridge and they get to the sort of lair of the of the black dragon and uh they're searching around and they find some treasures and they and they find enough treasure in enough places that they realize oh crap this must be the actual lair cuz they knew they were looking for kind of a dragon's lair but they're also looking for a couple other things so they weren't sure what they were going to find if it really was the dragon's lair down here or if it was just the bottom or basement of the shrine you know uh and they realize oh this really is the the dragon's lair and so they and they knew his they knew the dragon's name so they start yelling out the dragon's name, and as soon as the dragon comes out of the water... Is that the sun swallower? The, the sun swallower, yeah. As soon as the dragon... And I, I rename... His actual name is something different in my game, because it's, it's in my homebrew world. So there's quite a few things that have changed, but ultimately the story is basically the same. There are no uh, sun swallowers in your world? There's a, well, his, just, his name just isn't sun swallower. It's, it's something having to do with my... That's world specific. But star, it's basically... Star Eater. It's the same idea. Yeah, Star Eater. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he... So, of course, then the baby black dragon sees the big black dragon and starts, you know, making noise and flapping his wings and, you know, all this stuff. And so they, uh, they parlayed with the dragon and they talked to it and they convinced it to, uh, let the, to let them take the, the shrine in exchange for the young dragon. And, uh, and they did a really good job. They were quite convincing. They were shaken in their boots. They thought they were going to get eaten. Um, but they did a good enough job that that they they got out of there. And then then they had to figure out how to get the huge five hundred pound, you know. Uh, well, so one of them failed their fear save, and so he he just ran away. But the other one stayed, and then they then they couldn't find him, so they sort of went back and tried to figure out. Okay, we got to get this shrine out of here before the dragon comes back, because if he comes back, he might not be so happy to see us still here, and and he might not talk to us. Uh, so they worked all that out. So it was a very, very, very good session. Plus, I had a new player because one of my other players uh, got a got a job where he asked to work on Sunday. So we had to recruit some new players, and that was the first session with a new player, and he fit right in. So it was it was a very, very good session, and it brought that first sort of chapter of Dragon Spear to an end. So they went back to the town, which in my setting is a pillar, and uh, they spoke to the 
the big boss who is who's giving them direction, who's acting as their patron. Which in Dragon Spear, his name is Sir Istval, but that's not his name in in my setting, sure. and he's not a paladin in my setting. He's just a, a martial kind of guy. Um, and now I'm I'm sitting here trying to rack my brain and figure out what I'm going to send them to do next. Uh, they need to gain a couple levels before they go, because you know the the thing is that. Um, I I always throw in some extra things, and I, I'm not going to have them go on to the next stage of Dragon Spear just yet. I want to do something else in between because they need to gain a couple levels, and uh, I don't know what to have them do. I'm I'm, st- I'm still it's I'm still thinking about it. I'm brainstorming. I've got a bunch of ideas, and and I I want it to be sort of a a, a little mini hex crawl with a small dungeon at the end. Uh, and uh, and so that's that's basically what I'm planning. So I'm not really asking for advice per se, but if you you know yeah, if you ideas. have any cool ideas, so I would be dra- willing to hear them. And Dragon um, as it was written, was a was a um, took place in the same location as the 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 Thay adventures later, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, you're, the main base is supposed to be Daggerford. Daggerford, yeah. Right. So there's some, yeah. And there are some loose connections there. Could you pull some mm-hmm. inspiration from those, um, you know, the Scourge of the Sword Coast? Because there are lots of little plots there about, um, you know, the the succubus who infiltrated and, and yeah. you, know, you could, you could so always pull in some little things the, like that. The issue with that is that Daggerford in, in and this is why there's so many changes in my sure. in my actual game, is Daggerford is a much, much bigger city I mean the the city and where they're at in my in my campaign is called the scenario pillar. It's a much 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 bigger city than what Daggerford is. Mm-hmm. So Daggerford's the, tiny. Yeah, yeah Daggerford's <laughs> tiny. It's a tiny little hamlet, and the some of the sto- some of the things don't really mesh with what would really happen in in my setting, um, and not so much that. It's it's not so much the actual events or what, it's the thing it's the ripples that it would have out into the future that don't really they end up not you know it's kind of like it's a small mismatch now but in the future the it distance would be so yeah it would cause a lot of bigger problems so I'm trying to sort of not I'm just I just want them to do a tangent because they really need to be fourth level my players are not um, highly highly skilled so. Um, and I don't mean that as a derogatory thing. I just mean they just don't have a lot of experience. So for them, you know, playing their second level now, um, one character is first level because he just joined. So even if they bump up to third level right now and the, and the other guy bumps up to second level, um, or even if I made them all third level, they're still not – they kind of don't have quite enough expertise or, or ability to, to deal with the next chapter of Daggerfer or of Dragon Spear Castle, so, so you, I'm trying to do something that's kind of a side quest. But, so could you could you do some of those some of those plots, but move the location? So you know have have your version of the small town of Daggerford that they mm-hmm. have to that they end up going to, to yeah. you know to play the the, the big heroes, yeah. and, and run into some of those similar sorts of plots. Now, obviously, not telling the same story, but there's still some some decent plot ideas mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. You know, or for that matter, uh, you know, Murder in Baldur's Gate was sort of in that in that mm-hmm. level range, and, yeah. and there were some really good things there. As much as the adventure never really came together for me, there were some really mm-hmm. good ideas in there yeah. that you could totally yeah. use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, the beginning of of their adventure was sort of a 
there was some stuff going on from Murder in Baldur's Gate already. So it, my, the town is sort of this mesh between Baldur's Gate and Daggerford, and and there's different patrons. And so yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not I'm not really super asking for advice. I already have lots of ideas, but yeah, that's good. I had forgotten about Scourge of the Sword Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have Baldur's Gate opened up, and I'm looking at to maybe expand some of those things that I already started. So, yeah, we'll see. But, I, I, you know, I'm really happy. So, you know, if my players ever listen to this, it'll be like months from now probably. But, um, <laughs> you know, they'll probably be really so happy I have, to hear I have one, say this. I have a question. Yeah. Um, so one of, the, one of the big – and it's, you know, I think this is a great example of how you kind of took what you got and made it your own. Um, mm-hmm. There was one problem that I had with the end of that whole Sun Swallower – part Mm -hmm. which is in the adventure there's kind of this big and then a guy comes in sweeps in and steals stuff yeah no i didn't do that yeah i hated that yeah i didn't have that at all so as far as you're concerned and the unfortunate thing is from the storyline perspective that's actually kind of important yeah right like there's not a real easy way to to not have i've i've decided yeah yeah, that i'm not I'm not going to stop the PCs from getting something if they're smart about getting it, right? Yeah, like, yeah. There, there, no, are, they, there are villains yeah, who are interested really in acquiring hard. the same thing that yeah. PCs are, are interested yeah, in. Yeah. No, they, they, they worked yeah. really hard to get that shrine, right, and I gave right. it to them. Yeah, and no, then, they have and, it. Yeah, and in my case, they actually, you know, the, 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 the villain who stole the shrine had a really good chance to in my run and did mm. and and the piece you know i'm always worried that the players are going to look at me and be like oh great you know thanks for right. you know <laughs> cin- i guess we'll have a cinema scene can i hit a and skip this <laughs> yeah and, yeah um luckily that hasn't happened so far mm-hmm. and that's yeah that, no that's I, interesting. Well, yeah. let me say one last thing because my say got two that more yeah, things. I, I i got rid of that because it didn't fit well with how my players came into the story mm-hmm um, so it didn't really like it didn't make any sense to I mean, I could have worked a little harder to fit it in, but because I didn't like it in the first place, I didn't work at all to fit it yeah. in. So it just didn't yeah. show up. Um, and it wasn't necessary because of the way that they were asked or or hired or I, they, it's sort of this weird amalgamation of things that, of events that 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 have to do with the beginning of the of the adventure that mm-hmm. they were sort of forced into this. It's sort of a I volunteer because I have to kind of thing. Um, and so it didn't make sense to have that whole thing. They, they didn't need to have somebody accompany them. They, they'd had a really, they did it all on their own. They were, they were fine with that. Um, and so when they got, when they got the shrine, you know, the, 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 uh, what do you call it? The, the MacGuffin, right. Which was the shrine in this case. Mm -hmm. Uh, they of course had to turn it over to their patron who, that Mm -hmm. was the whole reason he wanted to. And in fact, you know, just like in, in the actual written thing, he told them, you know, that there's the black dragon that attacked this outpost is probably still there. You need to not engage because he'll kill you. (laughs) You know, these are nasty beasts. And, And, you know, so all we need you to do is find out where his location is and, and if the if the shrine is still there and then then hightail it out of there and tell us and we'll send a big force in. And in fact, when they were leaving, the force was go. They they had they tried to this is how good my players were. They they had been acting chaotic for the whole, three sessions before this. They get to this time. They meet this black dragon. They talk him into letting them have the shrine and, and leaving. And they don't know why it was it was relatively easy to do that. Um, part of it's because the other two eggs didn't hatch you know uh but um because the shrine was corrupting them so uh so they took the shrine and then they're they're gonna send in this big force to go 
take take the the shrine the temple and kill the black dragon and my players are trying to convince them oh no no you need more than this 15 guys you need this 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 dangerous and it was really interesting to see them sort of flip over and not be so chaotic and selfish and uncaring and they're trying to convince you know i know that your boss told you you have to go do this and i know this is your specialty but you need more than these 15 people because you're gonna eat it you know it was really good it was really good so i didn't need that secondary sort of guy that comes in and steals the thing right out from under their nose that was unnecessary in my plot so right on. Mm-hmm. that's it's cool it's fun to listen to you running through the similar adventure to me and both of us are hacking it yeah oh it's to- i totally i hacked so much of that yeah um but you know i mean that's i'm old school i mean that's what we did you know i mean you, you gotta right. match no, it to i mean I, you know, otherwise it's not yours you know only yeah. only people like jeff griner run them as is i know that jeff griner speaking of jeff griner and running it as is <laughs> my turn so we finally got to start our eberron campaign uh just, just the other day just last week eyes of the lich queen right eyes of the lich queen that's nice right. um and so uh, I did some things like I had some some ideas for how to get them to do some background stuff, and I basically pitched like five ideas to them, uh, uh, you know, the week or so before the game, and said, "Okay, here's five things we can do. We can do one of them, or we can do five of them, or we can do any combination thereof. Which things are you interested in?" Um, and I had one player who just out, outright rejected the fiasco style connections and backgrounds, mm-hmm. saying, hmm. "You know what? We've done it. I'm sick of it. I'm done with it. Don't do that anymore." <laughs> okay. Wow. Is, this, is this the that's same one that's strong generally like this? Huh? Is this the same player you have that's generally like this? This is the same player I have that's generally like this, and and I have several more examples of him being like this as we go through through my discussions. <laughs> Jeez. Um, and he's also the one that when we actually played Fiasco, didn't want to stay for a second round. He played one time and then left, went home. Right. Um, but so what? What they did end up um, going into, and I think worked pretty well, is I created team templates. So instead of uh, randomly defining relationships between them and creating this complex web, I said, you know what? Here are 10 different team templates. And you can choose one. And underneath each team template, there are like 10 different options for how you fit into that team. Right? So it could be you are mercenaries from House Deneth. And here are 10 different things that you might be. You're you're the, the group leader. Um, you know, you were, you know, you were all used to be veterans t- together in the, the last mm-hmm. war and you were the right. captain and you were the second in command and you were the cookie and whatever. Right. And right. I gave them all sort of these roles to fill and, and, and they chose to be, um, an expedition, uh, force from Morgrave university. They're sort of an arcane university based out of Sharn. Uh, one of them is, is the professor and one of them is a student. And, you know, so they, they actually selected these roles pretty well. And I, and I feel like the team template concept worked pretty well it required a decent amount of prep ahead of time uh, but it paid off i, I feel like uh, i even had and and i may be jumping ahead of myself here i killed a pc in the first session mm, nice and mm. then they're like well we've got this other warforged pc we were going to use for somebody else but they, they're they're not here or, or it's actually for somebody who didn't who didn't actually end up using that character um i can always play this guy but how, how does he fit into the team and why wasn't he here before? Well, one of the team template options was you hired a laborer to help carry your stuff. <laughs> you know, so you just didn't realize he was combat capable. You thought he was just a warforged uh, that you hired to carry stuff. His name is, was actually named Cart. 
I'm like, well, that's perfect. <laughs> you know, like we, that was just serendipity. That, that wasn't done intentionally, but his name was Cart, and and he's like, oh, well, hey, you guys came back injured. I happen to be uh, a healer. Let me heal you up. Wait, you can do stuff. Why aren't you going with us? You know. So then he ended up being the replacement for the the PC who died. Um. So yeah, they, so the team template I feel like worked pretty well. Um, the group uh, did not like the well. Okay, the the one player specifically did not like the fiasco style backgrounds. Uh, this was the same player who completely derailed or tried to derail and rejected the the whole uh, flashback concept. I think I talked about that a session or a, a recording or two ago, where you actually uh, and this is written into the adventure. You where they give you the option of start the adventure with the first encounter. And then do a flashback two weeks oh, earlier. Right. Yeah. This yeah, is yeah. You, you let's that. let's, yeah. let's role play how you got there. So I'm like, hey, that's a that's a cool idea. Let's do it. And so we did that first encounter, and then I did. said, okay, two two weeks earlier, uh, professor, you're sitting in your office at Morgrave University, and a messenger comes in with this message, and and here's the message, and I say the message, and he's like, okay, what happens next? I'm, you tell me. This is where we role play. Well, yeah, but we already got to that other place, so it's already been decided that that's what happens. So why don't you just tell me the story? And I had to stop for a second. I was like, okay, look, this is a role-playing game. <laughs> it is a collaborative storytelling experience. We are now collaborating to together figure out how you got to that, that point. You know, but, um, and everybody else, I think, was on board. Uh, but the, you know, the, the one player was just sort of, nah, I'm not going to play that game. And, it, and after a little while, I don't know, five or ten minutes of, of getting into it, and me just sort of ignoring him and interacting with everybody else, he started to finally get, get into it a little bit. But that, that was um, a, a little frustrating. Um and now does this yeah. is this is this player often like that or is it just lately or what's what's your read on that? He's not not like that. <laughs> <laughs> this is the same player that when I make up a rule or I make a ruling or something or I change something from the way it's written or whatever, he's always the first one to sort of make a face or complain or whatever. He'll usually modify your monsters. Yeah, if I modify my monsters or whatever. So so he'll usually he'll deal with it and get over it, but he looks like a grump the rest of the night. Mm. You know? uh, and that just throws me off my game. Uh, now, which is also why when I put together the player's guide and said, here are the, the house rules and stuff that we're playing with, one of the specific things I said was, I'm going to modify monsters. If you're not okay with that, this is not the game for you. <laughs> mm, yeah. I, put it on, did, I, I just put it on Front Street. How did he take that? It was fine because I think because it, it, I gave him the expectation ahead of time. You know, When we did the 1 to 30 campaign, I was playing with a lot of stuff. The edition was new. And so I was, let's try this. Let's try this. I, hey, I read about that. You know, And so we were testing out a lot of different things and trying a lot of different things and seeing what worked and what didn't work and whatever. And I think that really drove him crazy. He's like, mm-hmm. there are rules as written, and you keep changing them on me. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the fun of it. I, I have fun with that, and I think a lot of my players have fun with that, but I think he specifically does not. And okay. I, have another, I have other players. You know, I, I, he, I think, is primarily in the game for the tactical combat stuff. Um, and, I, and I have other players that are... As into like I have at least one other player who's as into the tactical combat stuff as he is, but also really likes to engage in the story. And where it gets interesting is the one who's into it almost entirely for the tactical stuff, who's always poo pooing stuff, somehow always ends up being the party leader. <laughs> 
So and I think it may be uh, a group dynamic, not necessarily in character, but because he's the oldest one or whatever, and he's he's relatively forceful and, and is quick to defend ideas and argue them or whatever. Um, Everybody some... kind of goes his way? Oftentimes. I'd say 90% of the time it goes his way. Mm. And when it doesn't, it's a, it's a big discussion. And, and that's not bad. I don't mind having big discussions and having them... Uh, argue and fight and figure out the best tactics or we want to do this or let's do that or whatever, right? I'm okay with that. Um, but if it's not going to go his way, that it always turns into one of those, you know? Uh, in, in, in this session, they're infiltrating a, or, or whatever, they need to get to this temple. The temple of, of uh, oh, I can't even remember the name now. Some ancient temple, right? In the middle of the, the jungles of Kabar that have been taken over by uh, a tribe of lizard folk. And they've they've alerted the, you know the the first patrol they run into alerts everybody in the villa or in the in the temple that they're there so they're all preparing for it and they're like well we could go in and intimidate them we could go in and bluff them <clears throat> or and diplomatize them or we could just go in and kill everything along the way right and, and it was and, and he had one idea and several other players had other ideas and it turned into a big discussion. I, I think he just wanted to go in and let's just go in and kill everything so we don't leave anything at our back, mm-hmm. right? And eventually it had to turn into, you know what, we're going to try this whole go in and intimidate thing. And that's fine because if or when it fails, it'll turn into an all-out combat, which is what we wanted anyway or what he wanted anyway, right? Um, and honestly, that, that's kind of how it ended up going, but that's not... Because the info, the the intimidation thing wasn't going to work, I actually really liked that they came up with the idea because. Um, but you basically had the the the, the rules lawyer, the the min maxer player, has his his kick butt character and says, "Oh, I'm going to go up and challenge the chief to, to to individual combat for control of the tribe and and all this kind of stuff." Right? <laughs> that doesn't work in four E. And, well, and, and that's one thing, right? But, but at the same time, part of me is like, that can totally work. And you know why that can totally work? Because when I ran through this adventure as a player, I did the exact same thing. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play with this. We're going to let this work. So he goes in and he throws down the heads of, of several lizard folk that he's killed and says, I am going to challenge you as the uh, – because I'm stronger than you as the new ruler of the, of the tribe and blah, blah, blah. And the guy's like, eh, you don't you – know, you would be an affront to the, the children of Rashak. And the guy, like, immediately gave up the Intimidate thing. Well, at least let us go into the temple and find some relics. We'll pay you gold. <laughs> really? You, you gave up that easily? <laughs> so, yeah, at that point it was going to be a fight, right? Because he didn't push the, the issue. He didn't really try that hard. So, And then I kicked their butts, right? I told you I killed a, a, a PC in the very first session. Um, yeah. So they had alerted the camp. They, a, lot, a bunch of them, almost all of them had gathered up in the entryway of the temple. And then there's these wells inside the temple, and the wells go down into an underground chamber that house two black dragons. Mm. Um, what level are they? Four. Mm. So these are young black dragons, right? But and they're siblings. That that. I mean, the PCs are the PCs are fourth level. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but so what? But what happens is. Until the PCs go down in the well to these to this chamber to find the black dragons. Um, it's it, they use a lot of hit and run tactics, so they're in the middle of this big fight at the at the entrance to the temple, and there there's lizard folk fighting all over the place in two different kinds and and all kinds of stuff going on, and then there's this well, and it, you you hear a grinding of stone, and a black dragon pops out, and he breathes 
The next round, does he recharge his breath? Nope. He flies back down in the well. You hear the grinding of stone. Right? Because mm. one of them is down below con- using the controls and the other one is <laughs> popping up and down. And Those so they, dragons are dicks. Right. And so they only ever see one dragon at a time. And so it works out it, like it was perfect because like um, the warlock cursed him and they set up a, a, a power that, with a zone sort of right next to the well. So every time the dragon tried to move, it would freeze, immobilize him so he wouldn't be able to go. Or at best, he could choose to just fall because he's immobilized right, and take the falling damage. Uh, and so, they, I mean, they really sort of had a, had one of the dragons on the ropes for a while, and then finally it got away down the well, and then two rounds later, it came back. And like, okay, great, well, we've already beat him up, now we can take him out. Uh, actually, he doesn't look hurt at all. Well, at least he's still cursed. Nope, nope, the curse isn't there, because it's the other dragon, but they don't know it, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, so th- and, and so, th- I mean, the tactics that, as the adventure was written worked really well. The whole thing went down really well. It, it kicked the players' butts, but but it, I think they had a good time getting their butts kicked, um, you know. And, and I think they've started to sort of figure out, oh, there must be something else going on. I don't think they figured out that there's two dragons yet, but I think they think there's something down there that's healing them or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Mm, right, yeah, something, there's some kind of location or something there that yeah. that takes away all their conditions and all that stuff. I mean, for a long time, it was funny to watch them because they thought it was some sort of uh, magical effect or automaton or whatever, right? So they're like, okay, if we just stay away from the well, it only comes out when we're next to the well. So just stay away from the well and it won't come out. <laughs> and, and it was brilliant to just sit, the, sit there and let them think that until suddenly it was wrong and the dragon came out, you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, yes. we, had some, we had some good times um, with that. With, I, I feel like everything went pretty well, um, you know, barring the one player who I've more or less gotten used to not buying into things and, and just not playing along. Um, I feel like a lot of the players... I got a good sort of um, new experience having gone through Fate and Fiasco and tried a bunch of other things, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's helped them think more story-wise and loosen up a little bit uh, and and try some new things and be a little more creative. You know, I've got one player who uh, who won't – he won't use a power. He'll always describe it. Like cool. That's, that's perfect. That's what I want all of nice. you to be doing. Yeah. Thank you for being the example. Of course, he's mm-hmm. also a listener to the show, so that might be wh- where he got the idea. Give, him, give that man a plus two bonus to go. his next attack roll every yeah. time. That's right. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, um, a lot of things are going very well, and the one guy's not buying into it a lot, and, and he's the one who didn't buy into all the other games either. Um, so I'm not entirely surprised. I'm just hoping that he doesn't take the creativity that the others have sort of started to, to think about and use and, and, and drag us back to where we were, you know? Hmm. So I feel like if nothing else, playing those other games will make us better and more, have more fun playing D and D. I definitely okay. felt the same way. Yeah. That was part of my goal was let's try some other things, a little more story based and, and do that and get used to doing that. And maybe we'll take some of those, those ideas back here too. Yeah. Um, has, has this fellow played any D and D next? Are you, are you, when you did your, um, TOE campaign. Yeah, he was in that. Okay. And he's yeah, right. Okay. He was when we did the uh, 1 to 30 campaign, he's the one that turned into the god of magic. So yeah. I mean, he's always the party leader. <laughs> so, How did he feel about uh D&D Next versus 4th edition? Uh he's on, he's on board with D&D Next. Um he told me that the one sticking point for him is going to be whether or not there's good digital support. Which is why um the interview I did with Mike Murrells, which by the time this comes out, people will have heard. And, and on this podcast, uh, Sam has already heard because he edited it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I specifically asked about digital support and Mike Murrells 
promised digital support for next will be at least at the level that it was for fourth. Hmm. And then our goal is to go from there. Interesting. So that's the goal is to have it. Well, and we've, we've seen a lot in the public so far about them putting a lot that of that morning star. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's, that's what he told, told us the goal was. Uh, and I told that to, to him and so he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board. Let's do D and D next. The one person who, um, it really has expressed that he does not like D&D Next is my rules lawyer who had has never played any edition except for 4th edition until until we were started play testing next. Mm. And he doesn't like it I don't think at all. Why? I th- I, th- yeah. I think it's just a lot different than what he's used to. Mm-hmm. Um I think you know once we get a few modules in and and more options and supplements and that kind of stuff I think he'll be he'll he'll find things to like about f- um 5th edition but mm-hmm. He's not there right now, but I think he'll keep. I mean, he'll keep. Yeah, that, because he's, because he's and there's the there's group. there's some playtest stuff too. Like I think, yeah, I feel very different about D and D fifth edition now than I did about the playtests early on. Like, yeah, I understand what I'm looking at now, but it's so much nicer to have an actual printed thing mm-hmm. that I know are the rules. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, there's not going to be these like mm-hmm. ah, maybe we'll have skills, maybe not. Well, and if anybody's been paying attention to the the playtests and the Q and A's they've been doing on video, they've said you know this this starter set and the the basic document those those things are basically cut and pasted right from the PHB. Right. You know what I mean? Like so, right. it's not like you're going to read it and then you're going to get the the player's handbook it's all in rules. August and it's going to be like oh well they've tweaked every single thing like it's all it's going to match right. exactly. So I've had that's, a, a that's year really public playtest with yeah. 183,000 right. people. Right, right, right. It's going to match right. exactly until they are at it and change it. Well, well, but that's, <laughs> you know, but uh, the idea read, is there won't uh, be yeah. much of that. Yeah. It's not going to be like it was in 4E. Yeah, I'm right. pretty mm-hmm. sure of that. Oh, well, we hope. I actually talked about that on the uh, the DM uh, roundtable. Not, it's not the DM roundtable, but yes. Yeah. Sorry, what is it? On the roundtable. The roundtable, sorry. The DM roundtable was Sam's thing. That's right. Oops. The other the other round table. The other round table. Right. There's multiple round tables in the internet. The the yeah, internet is lousy with round tables. Yeah. But but over there they talked a lot about um uh they talked a lot about the the announcement of how this is kind of a living rule set and what that means. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because yeah. this is such a different thing than 4E was. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised to hear you on there. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It's a, it's a Tur- great show. I've really been yeah. enjoying uh the It turns D- out the, the fellow that's kind of the lead moderator, he lives he lives right near me. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's down oh, in James Interqueso. Yeah. yeah, he's down in Crystal yeah. City. Right on. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's cool. No, I yeah. really enjoyed I, I that. wanted. I wanted to do that, but I just couldn't etch out the time out of my schedule. So yeah. I will always find time to go talk on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've I've really enjoyed having him on. He's got he's edited he's put together and, and given me twenty five episodes now, and and he gives me wow. one or two new ones every week. Like he is going nonstop. I think he's going to pick up another show that that we used to do that is that is more or less faded, and he's going to bring it back for us. Um, yeah, I, he's I, a hell of a moderator. He's he's doing great, and he's got a, he's got a, a he's like five in, times better than you. I know, right? <laughs> and he's got, and he's got a background in television, right? So he has some actual yeah, right, actual real training, right? He doesn't just make it up as he goes along like I do. It's funny because he sent me an email about podcasting, and, and I was totally down on podcasting. And then, but I said, but you probably want to talk to Griner because he could tell you a lot more. Oh, that's yeah. right, because you're the one that hooked, hooked me up with yeah, it. Yeah, right. That's and right. I, I didn't even pick that up until after I was on the show. And I was like, <laughs> or before I was doing my homework on who these guys were. I was like, oh, this is the dude I emailed like yeah. months ago. <laughs> it's so crazy. That's funny. Right on. 
Yeah, and I've actually, uh, I don't know if you guys have listened to any of the Appendix N podcasts. Uh, I listened to the first one, I think. Jeff Wynn's been doing. So yeah. the first one was, uh, I mean, it, it's a f- first-time podcast, right? So it had some some kinks to work out and some editing issues that he had and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, I've really come to enjoy those because he takes a real sort of deep literary look at some of the original novels that inspired D&D that were in that original DMG appendix in. Mm-hmm. That guy guys put together, and I've mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed listening to like the Ed, Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff, and he's got Jay Kent that's come on several times, and and the two of them work really well together. Um, I've I, I've I'm really pleased with what we've added to to uh, the Tome Show lineup so far this year, and we're looking to maybe add another one later. So cool. I'm pumped. Anyway, we've talked for 58 minutes and 18 seconds. Gotta get off fast. It, it is time to get off and <laughs> and go spend time with our significant others and do our thing. The next time I will talk to you, gentlemen. Uh, well, that's not true. The next time I talk to you, Mike, I will be uh, freshly back from across the pond. Enjoy, Sam. Sam I'm going to talk to you on Monday for a news desk. Yes, recording. you are. So. Yep. <laughs> All right, on. Uh, so say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, goodbye guys. guys.